This is Chris from Play Comics, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 165, 2020 Pop Culture, A Look Back. Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, a pop culture podcast for the generations. As always, we we took a little break over the holidays, but we're back and we're kicking off the first episode of our sixth season. Derek, how are you, my friend? How was your holidays and what pop culture were you able to take in over the break? Hey, Chris, I'm doing great. Thanks. My my holiday season was fantastic. I had a little bit of time off of work had a little bit of time to relax and decompress. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. This holiday season, I, I talked to a lot of people virtually through Skype and through Zoom and just on the telephone because we couldn't go anywhere and we couldn't see people in person. And what I kept hearing over and over again from a lot of my friends was, on the one hand, it was a little disappointing that they couldn't be in the same room as their friends and family over the holiday season, as most people tend to have uh, gatherings with their family. But on the other hand, a lot of people really liked that change that they didn't have to travel or they didn't have to host or they didn't have the obligation of of going to, you know, my parents' house, my in-laws' house, my cousin's house, my uncle's house. And so it was this sort of mixed uh, mixed blessing a lot of people felt they had where it was nice to not have to leave the house over the holiday season and actually be able to relax. But it was sort of that mixed feeling of, not being there in person. So I, I think for me, it was much the same because I tend to travel around Christmas. We usually take vacation, so we couldn't take vacation. But at the same time, it was was nice to just be able to decompress and stay home and watch a lot of TV and watch some movies. And so, uh, yeah, I had a couple of weeks to do a lot of stuff. Very cool. Did um, did you watch any documentaries by any chance? I did. I, I, I had a chance to, uh, well, to take just, a look. Hold on a second here. Oh, if you're, okay. Hold if, if you're going to you know talk about documentaries, we might as well bring it in. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's Documentaries. Derek's Documentaries. Take it away, my friend. What documentaries do you have? For all, all I wanted for Christmas was a new intro. Uh, we'll, we'll have to work on that. Get in the studio um, and record. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. The gauntlet has been thrown down. It won't be ready for next week, but I'll work on it. Um, the only documentary that I've had a chance to, uh, to watch in its entirety was one that you had actually mentioned a few weeks back called The Social Dilemma. Oh, you finally which, watched it. Nice. Yeah. So uh, it was on my watch list. I was aware of it when you brought it up a couple of weeks ago. And it's this, uh, as you mentioned, uh, when you brought it up a few weeks ago, that it, it's a it's a look at social media by people who have worked in the industry who are asking a lot of questions about the ethics of social media and how it can manipulate intentionally or otherwise the way people consume information and how it can drive certain people to, to, to uh, adopt certain ideas or how it can limit certain people from having access to other pieces of information. It's, it's, it's both interesting and scary at the same time. My, my real challenge with this documentary was that it's half documentary and half scripted. 
it's almost like they they put a little movie of the week in between the documentary parts, which I found was a little distracting and seemed to, in my mind, sort of really hurt the message they were trying to to emphasize. But I agree. I thought the same thing. That was the one knock I had on it. That scripted part was weird. Yeah, yeah. So so I, that's the only uh, it's the only full doc. I actually uh, was going through. I think it was my Amazon account, just looking for other things. And I found I went down a rabbit hole where they had like these one hour documentaries about musicians and albums and stuff. So I started watching an older one about uh, David Bowie. I started watching an older one about, I want to say it was Peter Gabriel. Um, again, I didn't get through them all. And they just, they, they reminded me of like VH1 behind the music, like those kinds of shows. Like, I think that's all it was is it's like, these were made for TV. They run about 45 minutes. So again, I'll, I'll look, if I find one that's really, really great, I'll, I'll let you know, but, uh, haven't had a chance to watch too many docs did get caught up on a few other movies though. It's a long, long list, which I won't go down, but, uh, two of the ones that I watched over the break are actually on my list of sort of best movies of the year. So I'll get to those later in the show. Okay. Two of the other ones that I had a chance to watch are comic book related. The, uh, the new wonder woman movie, wonder woman, 1984, um, which uh, was finally released both in the theater and, through home, uh, through your home streaming service, you could pay for it to watch it in your living room. I heard so that's mixed reviews on that one. Yeah, I would say that's sort of my feeling as well. Uh, the comic book nerd in me loved it, and mm. gr- there, a lot of this movie is visually spectacular. And the Wonder Woman scenes where she's actually like doing Wonder Woman stuff and fighting and all that stuff it, again, it's great. I mean, by now we know how to make a comic book movie, at least the action sequences. The overall story suffered from. It suffered. It, it seemed to me like they had two or three scripts and they sort of smushed them together and tried to cherry pick what they felt would work the best. And unfortunately, I think they all sort of suffered for it. But uh, I think it's going to do as well as can be expected in this kind of a release. And I'm sure they're going to make another one. Um, so we'll see. Uh, the other comic book related movie that I saw was uh, just uh, came out on uh, my um, my pay TV this week was uh, the new Birds of Prey Harley Quinn movie. It's the spinoff of the Suicide Squad that came out a couple of years ago that had Will Smith in it as the lead. Uh, Suicide Squad was terrible. This Birds of Prey, I was kind of thinking was not going to be much better. But the idea with this one is it's this movie about like all the female villains slash vigilantes that come together to make the, like, it, like the girl group that take on the bad guys. So it was actually a little more interesting than I was expecting it to be. It wasn't great, but it was certainly better than Suicide Squad. But I would say if you do enjoy the Harley Quinn character, it wasn't bad. But I would say check out the Harley Quinn cartoon uh, if you haven't already. It is head and shoulders way better than this movie. But uh, yeah, so so those are my sort of two comic booky things that I I managed to shoehorn in in the last week. And I started rewatching There Will Be Blood. Oh, there's a good one. Yeah, which I'm only halfway through because it's quite long and I have seen it mm-hmm. before. So I figure maybe we'll wait till next week and we can talk about that at the start oh, of the show good. next time. Yeah. For what my, about you? What did you get what did you get get up to over the break? Well, the holidays. You know, I'm like a little kid at Christmas. You know? You were mentioning last episode how excited I was to do the pop culture holiday tradition show that we did. I love Christmas. I always have. And I have got to say, this might have been one of my best Christmases ever. I just, it was just so good. I know we were like, we're stuck at home in this pandemic and everything, but it was just a great Christmas. And, uh, you know, I had great, you know, great time with my family. The kids really enjoyed it. And personally, I got a new guitar amplifier and it's got all the effects built right into it. So that's really cool. So, well, by the way, I, I may or may not have used it 
in writing a few new songs for the podcast. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, but uh, so what I did was I had all these effects pedals laying around because the effects are in this new amp. I don't need them. So I decided I would just sell them, right? So I put them up online and I sold them and I had all this money laying around. So I bought a used drum kit. You should nice. see my basement now, bud. Oh man, I've got guitars and keyboards and drums. And I also got a new amazing gadget for the podcast studio. Uh, Ty Childs from the Dingers podcast had mentioned to me, you know, about the Stream Deck. So I got it. Now it's now in the, the podcast studio. So it's just, oh, just, it was a great holiday. So it was just great. But I want to mention, since we're looking back on the year 2020, Derek, I thought it would only be fitting that I write a song about the year okay <laughs> does the song have fart sound effects in it because that's pretty much required for any song about 2020 it's so bad right um well i figured i've got pretty much every musical instrument under the sun down here with me so right here right now on the podcast i'm going to be debuting my new song for everyone to hear and it's all about 2020 and i call it 2020 sucked plenty and once I get it up on iTunes, I tell you what, I'm going to donate every penny I make from the song sales to the charity of your choice, Derek. But for right now, here it is. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. It's 2020 sucked plenty. <laughs> It started in March and then by June I didn't know what to do so I was drunk by noon For vacation we didn't know what we'd be doing But we knew for sure we weren't going to Wuhan On TV things looked really bleak but at least we all got to go up Shit's Creek. 2020, man, it sucked plenty. 2020 cost a pretty penny. They make no movies, I had to get my fix. So I watched Cobra Kai on the Netflix. I spent all my time on eBay getting a bid. But at least I didn't get COVID. Wearing pants wasn't really a thing. When you're sitting around watching Tiger King 2020 really was a toilet bowl But at least they voted out that a**hole 2020, man, it's a plenty 2020 cost a pretty penny 2020, man, it's up plenty. 2020, that's it, man. That's the single right there. Well, I have to admit, of all the songs that you've debuted on the show, that's the one I like the most. But uh, <laughs> that, that's 
that's still saying, you know, there's three piles of poop. Which one do you like the most? Well, this one, that's. Well, at least you liked it the most. I mean, that's good. I put a lot of effort into it. And I, I, I'm really kind of curious, and maybe this is a whole discussion for a different podcast, mm-hmm. why all your songs seem to have like a reggae influence. Do you drink <laughs> a lot of rum and then record? Like, is that that the connection? <laughs> yeah. I, know, like, I guess that's just my groove. I guess, I guess. <laughs> you know, Were you wearing your neck full of gold when you were <laughs> I certainly was. It was inspired by my neck full of gold oh, of from the last was. song. So uh, anything else that you want to mention before we move on? I do actually. One of the things uh, that I got for Christmas this year was, well, I got a couple of books. Uh, I haven't oh, yeah. really been doing a lot of reading lately and I sort of felt it. Sh- I should get back to that. So I asked for a few books for Christmas and one of the ones that I got that I've really been looking forward to is called Ready Player Two, which is a sequel to, in case you hadn't guessed, Ready Player One, mm-hmm. which you made we me did watch the movie. That movie. Yeah, we did the movie review, uh, movie based on the book uh, earlier this past year. If I recall, you didn't really care for the movie so much. I liked it a lot. Uh, But I did say, as I often do, the book was better than the movie. So the sequel, Ready Player Two, uh, the book sequel, that is, was released just before Christmas. I got that. Uh, I actually sat down after Christmas. I plowed through the book in, uh, in about two days. It was good. Um, I really enjoyed it, but the, what I've been telling my friends, cause most of my nerd friends have all read ready player one, as I said, ready player one to me was a solid a, even an a plus as far as the book, it was very entertaining. It was an original idea. The way it was executed was, was really great. This second book was good, but not as great. Like you, you got to go back and, and visit that world and visit those characters. It takes place a few years after the events of the first book. And it was a, it felt like there was a lot of uh, repetition, sort of the formula was already there. So they sort of seemed to follow the same formula with the sequel, which at first I was like, OK, yeah, whatever. But then I, I felt the end really saved it, like the last 50 pages or so sort of took a left turn that I wasn't expecting. And it, it really uh, it really brought it back together. So I would say like the first book I would have gave a solid A. And with the sequel, I would say I'd probably give it a B. So it's good, but not quite as good as the first one. Uh, so it's ready player two by Ernest Klein. Hmm. If uh, anyone's looking for an interesting read, or if you listen to, um, if you're one of these people who listens to books on audible or one of these other accounts, the audio of ready player one and ready player two are both read by Will Wheaton. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's, uh, that's my wrap up of things I've been doing over the break. Uh, why don't well, we, uh, why don't, as, why don't as you can tell by my song, you know, I, I really thought that 2020 sucked. And it did, you know, and we're going to get into some of the things from a pop culture point of view from last year. But I got to say, Derek, one thing that does not suck. Here's your dad joke of the week. Now, Derek, since we're recording this, you know, just into the new year, just after Christmas, obviously, I I thought I'd give you a Christmas pop culture dad joke. Okay. Sure. How did Darth Vader know what Obi-Wan Kenobi got him for Christmas? Um, I I don't know. I'm sure I'm going to regret the answer, but I don't know. He felt his presence. Boo. Come on. That's nothing but pure and simple communism. (laughs) Oh, that sounds familiar. Hal Needham's futuristic masterpiece, Megaforce. With Chuck Norris? No, Barry Boswick and Michael Beck did all the heavy lifting in that one. I'm glad that happened to that guy. F him. I'm gonna barbecue your 
and molasses. Thank you. The Southern NASCAR demographic. It's full of bigotry. It's full of racism. It's full yep. of sexism. There's no way you came from my loins. Hey, how cool is this? <laughs> what in the hell is this world coming to? All right, Derek, we're going to take some time right now and take a look back at 2020 from a pop culture perspective. Uh, lots of things to talk about. Uh, it was a very, very interesting year. And I'd like to just kind of start by just highlighting some of the, if you can call it that, highlighting some of the things that happened last year from a pop culture perspective. This is probably one of the weirdest, you know, years that I've ever lived through, that anyone I know has ever lived through. But uh, there's a couple of things I think, you know, as, as crappy as the year was, a couple of things that are worth talking about. And then, you know, we'll sort of circle back toward the end of the, the pod on some of the, the, the more negative things, I guess. But I want to start off by talking a little bit about Shit's Creek. I mentioned it in the song that I sang because this show made Emmy history last year and it broke all these records by becoming the first comedy to win all four of the major acting awards in one year. And it also became the most awarded comedy in the Emmys in a single year. And if you think about it, it's just all for this little Canadian show that shot, you know, here in rural Ontario. I mean, the hotel is the old Hockley Valley Motel outside of Orangeville. And the downtown of the show is in, is in Goodwood, which is over near Uxbridge. Now, for our American listeners, these are all just these little places that are outside of Toronto. And the thing I liked about it was there was all these Canadian actors that have, you know, showed up in, in that show, like Robin Duke and John Hemphill. Remember he was Happy Marsden from SETV? Remember he used to do a show from the bar? He'd be like half cut and introduce Six Gun Justice. <laughs> I, I I, honestly, I, I'm not as well versed in SCTV as you are. Oh, it was God. a little a little oh, before my time. It. I do remember some of the sort of the staples, but yeah, that one unfortunately eludes me. Well, some of the other actors that, that pop up in the show from time, like Jennifer Dale and Saul Rubinek. By the way, Saul Rubinek, I believe, is one of the most underrated actors of his generation. But, you know, Victor Garber showed up, Jennifer Robertson and, and Richard Waugh. Richard Waugh, by the way, I saw him in The Queen's Gambit, too. He was the um, the pharmacist in that. Um, I get, Schitt's Creek is just a great little Canadian show. And it ends up sweeping the Emmys like no other show in history. Um, you, I guess you could kind of argue that there's a lack of scripted shows, you know, these days. But I don't think it's any worse than any other time over the last 20 years with all the reality TV crap, you know, that we've been flooded with during that time. And, and, and no matter what, Schitt's Creek made history. I think it helped put Canada more on the map. And most importantly for me, I think it might have finally given Eugene Levy his due. The man is a comedy legend in Canada. And I think he's an absolute genius. I mean, some of the stuff he's done, like if you look at like Best in Show and pretty much everything he did in SETV, it's just, for me, it's just good to see him finally getting the recognition that, that he's always deserved. Agreed. Did you watch Shit's Creek? Did you like it? I haven't watched it. I, I have seen the occasional episode as you're just flicking through the channels late at night. It's like, oh, well, I'll watch this. There's only 10 minutes left before something else comes on. So I, I've seen a few episodes here and there, but honestly, I've never sat down to watch a full one from start to finish. But uh, it, it is on my watch list along with a dozen other shows, and I'll get to it eventually. Anything I sort of feel as a, as a Canadian, I'm I'm somewhat obligated to, but uh, given it's uh, it's high praise, I, I don't think I will feel any um, uh, any apprehension about uh, taking a look at it. Yeah, you should probably take a look at it. any TV that you did watch 
uh, last year that's worth mentioning? Well, I got a few shows, so mm-hmm. you want me to run down my list or sure. you want me to just hit a couple? Maybe hit a couple, do whatever you want to do. It's Okay, so, uh, you know, we often do like our top five list and, and that seems to be a big popular thing people do at the end of the year is, you know, the best of, here are my top 10 favorite movies or the top 20 songs of the year or whatever. I, I didn't feel that, um, I didn't feel that I could come up with comprehensive lists for all of the various categories. So, you know, again, I'm just going to sort of throw some things out there. One of the things I did in preparation for this show was, as I do with often with our shows is I went on the internet and I said, like, I wanted to read what, what critics were saying and what, what bloggers were saying. Like, what did other people consume in media this year that they felt was strong? And as I started to think about it before I did any of my searches, I found I really struggled to put a list together. And I started thinking, well, with the whole COVID thing and a lot of the shows shut down and some shows never has, haven't come back yet. And like a lot like movie production stopped and with theaters closed, we didn't get a lot of movies. I thought there really wasn't that much out there. Then I started looking at these lists and I couldn't believe how many titles were on these lists of like, here's all the stuff that came out in 2020. And there was a lot of the stuff that I I had had an opportunity to see, uh, some good, some bad, but there was a ton of stuff on there either I'd never heard of or I had heard of and thought, oh yeah, I'll get to that. I should have plenty of time. And then before you know it, something new falls in your lap and it just, you forget about it. So um, th- that was a little bit surprising to me. So just, I'll, I'll hit a couple of the ones on my list. Uh, and some of these we've talked about on other shows, so I, I won't necessarily dwell on them. So for TV shows, I've got uh, six, seven, eight of them here. Uh, one of the ones that I really enjoyed was Billions. Season five was out. Um, they did yeah, one of these things where, yeah. yeah, they did one of these things where um, I think the season was supposed to be 12 episodes and they did five or six. I think they did five episodes. And then because of COVID, they had to shut down production. So it seemed like the the season had sort of a natural act break around that halfway point, And they took advantage of that. And they just said, okay, we're going to stop here and shut down production. So the first half of Billion season five, I really enjoyed that. I mean, it's a good show. It's a strong show. Uh, Big Mouth, the cartoon on Netflix, season four just dropped about a month ago. It was fantastic. That show just gets better and better every season. Can't recommend that one strongly enough. Um, The Boys season two dropped on Amazon Prime earlier this year. Again, based on a comic book, its its premise is like, um, what if the Justice League of America decided they wanted to get paid and superheroes were corporate shills? And, you know, like the guy who's the Flash endorsed energy drinks and and running shoes and things like that. And then what if the guy who's Superman decides I'm going to do whatever I want because no one can stop me. I'm the most powerful person in the world. And it creates some interesting dynamics between the people that are super superheroes and have superpowers and those that don't and sort of what are the checks and balances and what sort of interesting shenanigans go on behind the scenes. And so the boys, uh, the whole show, it is sort of explores that idea. Season two came out, uh, I want to say it was probably around September, October-ish. Very strong second season and set itself right up for a third season. Again, when it's based on a series of comic books, they got lots of stuff to draw on. It's got a great cast. It's got a great premise. The the And it's shot here in Toronto, uh, which is kind of fun for me because then as they go to places, I'm like, I know exactly where that is, which sometimes I find can be distracting, but for the boys, I thought uh, worked really well. Um, and uh, I think uh, one of the ones that I think is probably one of my favorite shows so far this season, well, so far of the year, was The Mandalorian Season 2, which dropped in uh, November, December. 
um obviously based on star wars uh season two uh dropped just now season one dropped this time last year but i didn't actually watch it until like february march so i actually watched both season one and season two in 2020 and i gotta say this is one of the best things i watched on tv this year it's uh if i remember correctly it's eight episodes most of the episodes run about 45 to 50 minutes and my wife and i just binged it in one day in one sitting it was like watching a seven hour star wars movie marathon and it was great um and uh yeah again it sets itself up for where it's going to go in the next season and uh, the performances were strong. The the story was strong. The the draw on Star Wars lore was great, and uh, it didn't it didn't ruin the franchise like some of the other Star Wars stuff that's come out over the years. So those were those were definitely my high points for TV. I got a few more, but let's mm-hmm. let's stick with that for now. Uh, <clears throat> what so did I'll, you watch that you? Well, liked? I'll touch base on the Mandalorian for a little bit okay. because I've just started watching the first season. I think I'm about five or six episodes in. Now, you know how I stand on Star Wars stuff after the original trilogy. I hate it all. It's all crap. It's all garbage. But I I will say this. The Mandalorian is actually pretty good. And so I started watching it and I thought, oh, I'm going to hate this. And I put it off because I didn't want to watch it because I I didn't like the prequels. They're junk. Even the new stuff, it's just junk. Uh, and, And I love Star Wars, the original trilogy. You know how I feel about that. But I started watching The Mandalorian. It's really, really good. It's really, really well done. It feels a little truer to the original film. And I think that's what I like about it. Um, It's really good. And I just wondered, it just came to mind, um, you love documentaries too. And we have mentioned previously, I want to say it was, I don't remember what show we were talking about. But uh, we were talking about uh, John DeLorean, the guy that had the the, the little DeLorean Motor Company back in the 80s. They used a DeLorean in uh, Back to the Future. And I thought, you know, it would be really cool if they had a documentary about him and it was called The Man DeLorean. I don't know. I just thought that. There, there were a few different DeLorean documentaries. The one I watched this year had um, Alec Baldwin in it because they were they sort of were intercutting. Uh, it was like they were shooting a movie about John DeLorean, but they were intercutting it with a documentary, sort of like we talked about with The Social Dilemma yeah. earlier. But this one was done in a way that was really clever and it worked. And and so I watched that earlier mm. this year and I really enjoyed it. But did they call it The Mandalorian? No. No, they should. Okay, one thing I don't, we're talking about TV shows. I don't think any discussion of 2020 is complete without mentioning Tiger King. Because it was such a big part of 2020. And, <clears throat> you know, the thing is, a lot of times in life and especially in pop culture, timing is absolutely everything. Let's face it. In any other year in history, an eight-part documentary about white trash zookeepers would never even register in the world of pop culture. But, you know, you take the start of a global pandemic, you know, people are locked down in their homes with literally nothing else to do. And then, you know, TV and movie production gets shut down. You've got, you know, suddenly this entire population of people that are starving for some kind of entertainment. And along comes Joe Exotic. <laughs> Derek, have you seen Tiger King? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so <laughs> before you go off on that, I have a whole section of documentaries I watched this year. Tiger King is at the top of that list. Um, yeah, I, I tried to put off watching this when it came out because I thought this just looks stupid. Mm-hmm. But as you said, it came out the week the lockdown started and everybody was watching it because they had nothing else to do. And so I, I gave in after a few weeks and much like everybody else, I just couldn't, it was a train wreck. You couldn't stop watching it. No, so. exa- exactly. And the, and the thing was, you know, um, 
if you haven't seen the show, you know, I'm not going to give away too much, but it's just in a nutshell, it's about this white trash zookeeper named Joe Exotic. And he's this drug-addled, kind of wannabe country singer, and he's got this local TV show, and he, he hooks up with 18-year-old runaway boys. He, I think he married two of them, and he's got this three-way same-sex marriage, and one of his husbands shoots himself, and then he runs for governor, and then for president, and like, it's just, and, and he's got this running feud with this loopy and, and potential husband killer named Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. Carol Bastard, bitch. <laughs> he sounds like a nice guy, Jeez. right? <laughs> so anyway, it's it's all about the, the subculture of these tiger keepers in the United States. And then Joe Exotic hires this hitman to go to Florida to kill Carol Baskin. <laughs> but of course, it's an undercover cop. So, so he ends up in prison. And the show is basically like driving past a horrific car accident. You, you just people just can't look away. You know, the thing was, 35 million people watched it in its first 10 days of release on Netflix. I, I think anyone who says 2020 uh, didn't suck from a pop culture perspective has to look no further than Tiger King to see how just how crappy this year was. But I think Tiger King is like the poster boy for 2020. Like you said, it's at the top of your list. I thought it was, it's, it's horrifying. It it shouldn't be famous. It's its colossally untalented. It's basically the Yoko Ono of TV shows. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, when I say it's at the top of my list, I by no means mean it's the best thing I watch. Right. It's merely one of the ones that I felt you couldn't talk about documentaries in 2020 without starting there. So. Right. Um, another thing I wanted to mention a little bit was about COVID. I don't know if, if I usually use the word infecting, but but how COVID really got sort of permeated into pop culture. So the first real example that, that I had of COVID finding its way into pop culture was on American Idol. Uh, I've been watching that show on and off since it started back in 2002. And then when COVID hit, the show went into hiatus for about two or three weeks. And then it came back. But what they did was the contestants were all in their homes singing. And, and it was kind of weird. And I, I mean, I'm glad that they were able to finish the season. But it made you realize how COVID was, it needed to be woven into pop culture somehow. So I guess my question for you, Derek, is this. Do you think COVID should be a part of scripted shows? I mean, obviously, the writers have a choice to make, right? Like, do they sort of push forward with their previously planned storylines and just pretend COVID never happened? Or do they weave COVID into the plot? Well, I think, uh, so it's an interesting question and and we could probably fill a whole show on this discussion, but uh, it's, I'm sort of of two minds of this. If your show is supposed to be taking place in the real world, in the here and now, then I don't think you can get away from it, especially if your show has anything to do with medical. So like Grey's Anatomy is a good example. It's a show about doctors. It's supposed to take place in our real world and it's supposed to be taking place in the here and now. And so when the new season came back on, they addressed it straight up and they, they've been using the show to try and uh, make a little bit of social commentary to emphasize the seriousness. But one of the things I did read online was, uh, true or not, but I got to think it is, the direction a lot of the big studios have been giving to um, their networks and their, their productions is, if you're going to address COVID in your show, if you're going to actually have your show set in the here and now and ha say that COVID is happening, you must have at least one character in every episode that champions 
the positive ways to wear a mask and all the other social distancing and all of that stuff. You have to have somebody who during the show calls somebody else out on doing it wrong or, or extols the virtues of why you must social distance and wear a mask and, and stay home and all that stuff, which you'd like to think people would do anyway. But once I read that article and then I started watching some of the newer programming, and again, I'm going to use Grey's Anatomy as another example of that. Once I read that, the next like three episodes of Grey's Anatomy I watched, there was absolutely a character and it was a different character in each episode that stood on the soapbox and was was you know yelling at people for not wearing their masks correctly and giving these long speeches. That to me, once I sort of knew to look for it, I felt sort of hurt the entertainment value of the show. I mean, I totally understand why they're doing this because there's clearly a lot of people that aren't taking the proper precautions, but it's this sort of fine line between, you know, is it art? Is it social commentary? Like, and are they doing this because it's a responsible thing or are they doing it because it's the dollars and cents? They don't want to get sued. I don't know. So long answer to your simple question. Interesting that you mentioned Grey's Anatomy because, you know, like it, obviously it's a show about doctors and the healthcare industry. So maybe in that situation, it makes more sense to include it, but it doesn't even seem like they're being all that responsible when it comes to wearing masks, you know, cause there's scenes where they, they go off into the side and then they take off the mask and they're talking and stuff. And so I, I think if, if doctors aren't depicted as promoting, you know, full out COVID protection, like, I don't know why bother, but my wife watches one show. I want to say it's, this is us. I, I could be wrong. I, I don't, I don't watch the show, but they, they've really worked it end of the show like I, I remember like people were wearing masks and stuff and and i just remember like she was watching and i just i thought it was it just it was weird it was a bit weird seeing it on tv this this is tough i don't know i mean for, for me i think i lean toward keeping it out like i think people look to pop culture to escape you know especially now you know we want to escape this nightmare we don't want to be reminded of it and my wife also started rewatching um, How I Met Your Mother. And I remember seeing- I, a, I love that show. Yeah, I remember seeing a meme on social media and it was something like uh, Ted Mosby, you know, tells his children you know, all about how he met their mother in, in 2030. And not once did he mention COVID. You know, <laughs> it kind of strikes a chord in a way. But I, I just think, I think we don't want to be reminded of COVID. People look to scripted TV and movies- for entertainment and for as an escape. And I think the last thing they want is just to be reminded of all the crap that's going on around us. That's my take. I don't know. I mean, that's fair. I, uh, though I, again, I think as we said before, I think it depends on genre. I think it depends mm-hmm. on the nature of the show. So like if you're watching, say a sci-fi based show that's somewhere in the future or on a spaceship or something, or a, a you know, walking dead style, uh, uh, post-apocalyptic something or other, then sure. It's, it's not relevant to the time frame and the world you've created in your mm-hmm. show. Yeah, obviously, I don't think you need to work that in because it would be silly. Although it wouldn't surprise me to see shows like that have a one off episode where it's this is the plague episode where people start getting sick. And you, again, use that opportunity to tell your your audience this message through metaphor of science fiction. But I think for a show that's if the show is supposed to be a real life show happening in this, like it would almost seem silly for to. Like for me, I think it would it would hurt my enjoyment of the show if I'm watching a show and they say, yeah, it's Christmas 2020. And then you see like shopping malls full of people where no one's wearing masks mm-hmm. and 
family gatherings right. full of people. And it's like, if they kept saying like, happy 2020, like I'd be like, what's right. wrong with these people? I'd, <clears> I'd be like sense. judging them for not wearing the masks. And it would, I think it would hurt the entertainment value. So I think it really depends on, on the, the established setting of the show or the movie or the you know, whatever. One other thing that just came to mind, my kids like watching Wheel of Fortune. And so we put it on there the other day and we noticed it's very subtle, but the contestants use these like plastic cylinder things now to reach down and spin the wheel. So yeah. They don't, their hand doesn't touch it, you know, and they, they're not, you know, passing anything on to each other people. It's just, it was very subtle, but I picked it up and I just, I, I wanted to mention that. Yeah. I've been watching Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I watch Jeopardy a lot and I've been, I haven't missed an episode this season. I've been recording them because there's not a lot of new programming on. So that's a good one to just fill up my spare time. And I noticed that they, have the contestants, the podiums where the contestants are standing are a little farther apart than they used to be. And they have like a barrier between them, a clear barrier. Right. Uh, yeah. So, but other than that, if you didn't know, you might not realize it, that mm-hmm. they did take that precaution. Right. So uh, I want to shift from TVs to movies for a minute, but before we start on movies, I have a, I have a trivia question. I have a couple of trivia questions for you. Okay. Okay. So if you, if you're looking at just the U S domestic box office only do you know what the highest grossing movie of 2020 was uh was it that disney cartoon that came out the pixar one that came out just for the pandemic uh no uh, no no it was bad boys for life oh really the will smith one 204 million was the highest grossing film and if you expand a look at the worldwide box office gross any guess uh, what movie made more money than any any other in 2020? Um, this is a really no. hard one. Oh, it, is it is it maybe Parasite because it won the Oscar oh, and it's a, a no no film? that was really low down list. It was called the 800. Okay, it, it, it was uh, it was a Chinese movie. It it grossed 461 million dollars worldwide. Wow, but I've never uh, heard of it. It, it, it. it it only had 370 thousand in us domestic. So it was, it, it, it grossed 460 million of its 461 million dollar, uh, worldwide gross in China, just only a million dollars outside of China. But there, there was, there really wasn't a lot of movies last year. Like if you look at the top grossing movies, like I say, bad boys for life, 1917, which, you know, it came out, you know, at Christmas, you know, Christmas kind of time, before, yeah. yeah, there was like Sonic, the hedgehog, Jumanji, the next level. Oh, I uh, saw that one. It was good. Yeah, Birds of Prey, which you mentioned, uh, Little Women, Call of the Wild, like there, there was not much. But now you're you know? talking about theatrical releases. Yes. And one of the things that the pandemic and the lockdown has actually helped with is the straight to streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Crave, HBO Max, those kind of things, Disney Plus, movies that have been designed and intended to be released through those platforms have had more eyeballs on them this year than they probably would have because you didn't have alternatives. You couldn't go to the theater on the weekend. If you wanted a movie, you had to have something you could watch through your own personal TV. And so there were a ton of movies uh, that were supposed to be like Netflix, direct to Netflix, Amazon, direct to Amazon. And um, that, that were like, fantastic like they were great quality they were fun to watch they probably had insane amounts of of people watching them not that a lot of these streamer like netflix doesn't release actual stats on their viewership they can release a press release and say x number of people have watched this but there there no there's no accountability to them 
to back that up with any sort of data. So they can say whatever they want, as they all can. Um, but what you're hearing more and more is things like, oh, this new movie beat our previous record. Okay, that's great. What was your previous record? Oh, no, no. Well, we're not going to tell you that. Um, but this this year, we had a lot more movies that would never have been in the theater in the first place become big hits. Um, and then, of course, towards the end of this year, when the studios realized we have these big movies that cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make, we need to get them out there. Like Wonder Woman's a good example. Like it had been sitting on the shelf for six, seven, eight, nine months. And they're like, we got to get this thing out. It didn't make the hundreds of millions they were expecting, but they needed to make something and they're starting to make money off it. So it yeah, was like going, going directly to streaming is becoming a thing. Like um, Disney did a live action movie. Uh, they did a remake of Mulan. And yeah. Borat 2 was another one, went direct streaming, right? So I guess the question is, do you think it will become sort of standard for movies Absolutely. to go directly to streaming? Like, do you think movies are going to, movie theaters are going to go the way of the dinosaur, like kind of like Blockbuster did? I think, yes. I think that there, there will not be, I, I think movies moving forward will have to have a stream at home option of some kind. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was like the old video release. It would come out on video and then like a month later it would be available through pay-per-view kind of thing. So where it might debut in a theater today and two weeks from now you can watch it streaming at home kind of thing. Um, but I think that's going to – and I think what's going to happen is movie theaters will start to become more – event like you were only going to go to the theater for big event kind of movies and i think what you're going to see is studios aren't dropping three or four hundred million dollars to make a big movie anymore uh you're going to get a lot more low budget kind of movies i think the whole industry the film industry is going to have to take a real good look at itself and say like is this actor really worth 10 million dollars a movie well the movie's not going to make the hundreds of millions it used to so the industry may have to change the way it pays the people that that do what they do. Yeah, but and that, so what you're saying is is that the movie theater will only be there for big event movies, but they can't sustain that business model if there's only no, a couple not. of movies a year. So no. our movie theaters are all going to close up. About about a, ten a years ago, we saw a shift from video stores like your old stomping grounds at uh, yeah. Blockbuster, and they all went extinct. And I'm just wondering if with COVID now if this is going to start a trend, if, if the same thing's going to happen with movie theaters, they're all going to close up. Well, I, I mean, I think a lot of them will have to close just dollars and cents, but I think there will, if there's an opportunity to make money, they will figure out the way to do it. And I mean, the one thing with, with, uh, theaters is they always made more money off concessions than they ever made off of ticket sales. Mm -hmm. So as long as there's the opportunity to make the kind of money you made on concessions, continue through concessions or through some other way like that, They'll figure out a way to make it work. So like here in Toronto, there are hundreds of movie theaters. I don't think we're going to have hundreds of movie theaters three years from now. I think there's going to be like 10 or 20 and they're going to be very select locations and they maybe don't have these 20 theater megaplexes anymore. I think we're going to have smaller theaters that are going to, you know, you'll have these event movies like the next Avengers movie or the next, uh, you know, Harry Potter movie or whatever it is. And you'll have like special programming like, hey, we're going to do uh, we're going to re we're, we're going to show all the James Bond movies over the next three weeks. Come on out. It's three bucks. All you got to do is buy a popcorn and a pop when you're here. Like there are ways to make that model work as long as it's safe for people to go to the theaters. And that's, that's the real the thing. Like when's that going to happen? You know, it's yeah. too bad because 
over the past, you know, few decades, pretty much all the drive-ins have disappeared. And that's the one kind of movie theater that's sort of perfectly suited, you know, for the pandemic. They're, they're just not really around anymore. Yeah. Well, especially again, in the large cities, the real estate's too valuable. You know, why have a big parking lot that's not being used for, uh, for anything constructive when you can build a 50 story high rise there and charge people through the nose for it. There's one outside of the city that I live in that's still open. And I remember in the summer, what they did was because there was no new movies. And I, I thought this was great. <clears throat> and as much as I thought it was great, I never made it out because we would always go away to the trailer for the weekend. But they, what they did was they would show old movies. So you could go and see like Jaws and the Goodies. You know, nice. and I thought it would be really great to take my sons, but they're still so young that, you know, it's kind of a late night. So I don't know if we could. Do well, that. and especially in a COVID world when they're not supposed to get out of the car. Yeah. Right? I'm, well, the thing is, then what they would do is because you're right, the concessions are where they're making all the money. They could still do that. They could just bring it. They mean, just order it on an app and they'll just yeah. bring it and drop it near your car. And you just don't yeah, your car to grab the it, car. right? Yeah. So it's all good. I mean, there are ways around it. It's just about finding new ways to be creative and how to uh, deliver services to people. Now, one of the things that I always like to kind of look back on on the year before is celebrities that we lost. Before we get into that, though, um, is there anything else pop culture-wise you wanted to mention about 2020? Yeah, I got a, a few things. So I figured. Uh, let's, let's lean into what we were just talking about. So okay. I would say... I'll go down a list of two or three of the movies that I enjoyed the most this year. And all of them are movies that um, I watched at home on, on my streaming services. And I think of the three of the three or four I'm going to talk about, I think only one of them would have actually made it to the theater. So one of the ones that's sort of the top of my list is the trial of the Chicago seven, which I think we talked about a few, a few months ago when it came out uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, it's fantastic and it's going to be an awards darling. It's going to be nominated up and down the board for performances and direction and, and script and all that stuff. It's it's your typical Oscar fair. It's great. This one probably would have gone to theater simply because of its pedigree and the star power behind it. So that was a, definitely a great one. But a couple of the other movies that I watched that I enjoyed, I watched one called Project Power, which was uh, with Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And the idea was you take a pill and then you get superpowers for five minutes uh, again, it, it wasn't a, a super duper awesome movie, but it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Another one that I watched was called The Old Guard with uh, Charlize Theron, which not until after I watched the movie did I find out it was based on a, a comic book graphic novel. So that was kind of fun. Again, it was a good action movie and Charlize is great in just about everything she does. So a lot of fun there. And then one that I just watched last week that I, I deliberately didn't talk about off the top is uh, a movie called Palm Springs. Now, this was released on Hulu in the U.S. months ago, but it only just came uh, became available in Canada like this week. So I just watched it, and it's uh, it stars Andy Samberg from uh, Saturday Night Live and Brooklyn Nine Nine, and it's sort of a new take on the Groundhog Day idea. What if you're stuck reliving the same time frame over and over again? And it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. My wife and I watched it together, and we sort of both went, well, we sort of know what this is going to be about. Uh, let's give it a shot. And we both sort of went, this was really good, like better than it had any business being. And it it was quite strong. And again, I don't know if that's a movie that would have necessarily gone to theaters, but, um, you know, it, it was great. And I, I, Chris, I know you're not big on newer movies, but uh, that's one that I would encourage you to take a look. At. I think it was streaming through Amazon, if I remember correctly. It's called Palm Springs. Hmm. So also take a look at that. Yeah. So those were the those were three of the sort of movie movies there weren't really any um like i didn't get out to the theater that much I, in january february and march before things locked down the stuff i saw in the theater was all the movies that were being nominated for the awards like i went out and saw 
1917. I went out and saw Parasite. I went out and saw Joker. All of those I saw in the theater in January and February of last year, but those movies were all released the year before. So I'm not really going to count those as 2020 movies. Um, the other thing I want to just mention is documentaries because, you know, it's me. Uh, we've talked about Tiger King, but I watched a ton of documentaries this this year. And just a couple of the better ones. You, you watched so many documentaries this last yeah. year. I had to actually quote and write a song. Yes, indeed you did. and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's Documentaries. Derek's Documentaries. You're the documentary king, but anyway, yeah. take it away. I, I kind of walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a few, again, I, I'm confident I talked about all of these on the podcast through the year, so I'm not going to dwell on them, but just sort of the highlights. Six-part documentary miniseries called High Score about the history of video games. Yes, you mentioned that. Yeah, A documentary called McMillions about guys that uh, yep. were scamming the McDonald's Monopoly contest for years mm -hmm. for millions and millions of dollars. Uh, a movie, a documentary called The Way I See It about the White House photographer that yes. worked for both Ronald Reagan and President Obama. Fantastic film. Uh, Class Action Park which was about a water park called Action Park in New Jersey that was like the most unsafe water park ever. People like literally died there and it was, you took your life in your hands going It's there. like itchy and scratchy. Land oh, it was, yeah, <laughs> it's, like it's so good. I, I watched it again over the Christmas break and it was just as good the second time around. It's like and Tiger course, King, you know, but it, like water parks. Yeah, well, no, this, the, and this water, like the documentary is so good. It's so entertaining. I mean, it's tragic because people did die, which is unfortunate, but it's, it is super entertaining. But the absolute best documentary I saw all year was the series about Michael Jordan and the Bulls called The Last Dance. It was top shelf, top notch. It was the best documentary series I watched all year. And I, I'm not a big basketball guy and I really didn't know much about any of the stuff they were talking about. So it was all new to me and I loved it. But I've talked to people that are huge basketball fans that knew all of that stuff. And they even said, they're like, even if you knew all this stuff and you had watched this when it happened, the documentary was just so good to pull it all together and present it in an interesting way. So if uh, if you are looking for a doc, uh, documentary or a series or something to binge, uh, the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, top shelf. It's amazing. Well, I mentioned I wanted to take a look back at some of the celebrities that we lost in pop culture in 2020. And there are just so many. I don't even know where to start. I have so many. Um, you know, as a Canadian, Neil Peart, the drummer, you know, Buck Henry, I thought was just fantastic. He was a writer and a director. And, you know, he, he acted too. He was on SNL like 10 times in the... In the 70s, Kirk Douglas, you know, Terry Jones, Max Foncito, Little Richard. But I have a couple other ones that I really want to dig into. Is there any you want to start with maybe one that you want to talk a little bit about and then we'll kind of get into some other ones? Uh, sure. So I, I just want to so I want to sort of tread back on what you just said. In preparation for the show, I looked for a list of celebrities and famous people that have passed in 2020 because mm. my memory is not that great. And I'm sure there are people that passed away that I just it never occurred to me. So I found a list that I think was put out by People Magazine, and it's like, here are the 250 most well-known celebrities that passed in 2020. I thought, holy crap, that is a huge list. And I mean, I don't mean to sound insensitive about this, but as I'm going through the list, I'm like looking at the names either going, okay, I don't know who this person is, or I, I recognize the name but went, yeah, you know, it's tragic that they're gone, but it, it didn't really strike an emotional chord with me. Mm -hmm. uh, mainly, you know, in a lot of cases, it's like, I am familiar with your body of work, but 
you know, it didn't affect me. Like when someone like David Bowie died, like that affected me because mm-hmm. Bowie was a big influence on my right. life and a musician I really admired and I liked his work. And like I genuinely felt saddened by his passing. But for so many of the people I'm going on this list, it's like, you know, I don't want to I don't want to be callous and be like, I don't care that you died. But it was sort of like well, that's unfortunate, but I'm going to keep going down the list. And I found from that massive list, I ended up only putting together a very, very short list of names. Um, before I jump onto one, I just want to say we did episodes specifically on Sean Connery and Eddie Van Halen. So I don't think right. we need to tread on that. Uh, we've already covered them. You're right. Um, we did. You know, I, I will say, though, about Eddie Van Halen, not just one of the greatest guitar players that ever lived. But the thing with him is that there's very few people in history that can make something just look effortless. Jimmy Stewart, for me, was one of them. His acting was just, it was effortless. And the other was Eddie Van Halen. Like, he was just an absolute master of the guitar. Like, just, there's so few people that can just make something just look so easy. But he was able to do that. So, I just wanted to get that. So, yeah. So, um, then, so... Uh, sticking with the musicians then you already mentioned Neil Peart who I did have on my list and if we want to talk about him a little more we can but um, you know that one was certainly one that sort of hit me in the feels Uh, this may surprise you a little bit Kenny Rogers died at Hmm. 81 years old this year now you like because you grew up with country music I grew up with country music so my parents not big pop culture folks definitely not big music folks but my both my mom and dad like country and western music so growing up that was really all i had immediate access to in the house for many many years was country and western music and one of the first records that i can remember um playing over and over again was my mom had a kenny rogers album i think it was like one of the kenny rogers greatest hits and it had like the gambler and fine time to leave me lucille and lady and uh coward of the county it had it was literally like kenny rogers best songs and i can remember playing it over and over again i knew all the words and i really enjoyed it and then kenny rogers came to toronto to perform and my dad took me to see kenny rogers that was my first live music performance my first rock concert was kenny rogers at maple leaf gardens and i can remember my dad i couldn't have been more than six or seven or eight years old like i was probably like say seven ish is probably about right and we were on the floor and i can remember like i'd never been to a live concert i'd been to the maple leaf gardens to see a couple of hockey games so i was surprised i'm like they're gonna let us on the ice he's like no no no, there's no ice the ice is all covered up they got seats down there that's where he's gonna be singing and uh yeah i can remember it was like just this it opened my eyes to like, Hey, music can be more than music on the radio. You can, you can see your favorite musicians literally performing live in front of you. And so, yeah, it was, uh, that was my first rock concert was Kenny Rogers in the early eighties. And, uh, so when, uh, when I heard that he had died this year, it was, uh, you know, sad me. So that, that's the first one I want to talk about. I just want, I want to give a little honorable mention just to a couple before I get into my list. Jeanette Dubois. She's probably best known for playing the next door neighbor, Wilona, on Good Times. But uh, she also, like, she was such a good singer and she she sang the theme song uh, to Good Times, which I thought was important. And Lee Fierro, who nobody would know who that is, but it was Mrs. Kittner from Jaws, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. She died. And Brian Dennehy was another one. He was a character actor. But the thing with him was he made everything better just by being in it. You know, namely like First Blood and Cocoon. And I want to give Tommy a Boy. He was big Tommy. Oh, yes, you're right. He was the dad in that. He was so good. And I want to mention Howard Finkel because I was always a big fan when I was younger of, of WWF wrestling. And he was the ring announcer for WWF back when it was like the WWF. 
You know, when it was oh, actually was that entertaining. Mean Gene Okerlund? No, no, that was Mean Gene Okerlund. Howard Finkel was the guy in the ring. Oh, okay. This uh, this event is scheduled for one fall. <laughs> like, it was that guy. And uh, I don't know. I just wanted to mention him. But um, the other one I guess I should mention briefly as an honorable mention was, was Dame Diana Rigg. I think millennials know her as Olena Tyrell in Game of Thrones. She was the Queen of Thorns. But... If you think back, like, like to a generation of older people, she was Emma Peel from the Avengers. Not, not those new like MCU Avengers, but like back in the '60s, there was actually a TV show called The Avengers. You know, completely unrelated to the comic book movies. But uh, and then, um, well, I think you might mention Prowls and Bullock. So I don't know if I should leave those for you. What do you think? Uh, I don't have either of them on my list. So David Prowse and Jeremy Bullock, obviously. Uh, I think when we start losing actors from Star Wars, you know, it, it kind of hurts a little, you know? Mm-hmm. And both those guys, they were behind masks. But it doesn't change the fact that they they both brought to life absolutely iconic characters. You know, Bullock was Boba Fett and Prowse was Vader, obviously. Um, but one that I want to mention, so i just like to get into, and we'll kind of go back and forth here if you like. Fred Willard was such an amazingly funny guy. I, I think the reason that he never really got his due was because he improvised pretty much everything that he did. I think he should have won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role in Best in Show. And he wasn't even nominated. And the thing is, we mentioned this before, the Academy looks down on improvised performances. And it's too bad because he won he won a whole bunch of film critics awards for that performance like the Boston and New York and Los Angeles Film Critics Awards they all went to him for his supporting role there and as much as I liked him in Best in Show whenever I think of Fred Willard I always remember him for this little movie called Moving Violations it came out in 1985 it was made by Neil Israel and Pat Proft and it was all these like sight gags and crazy humor and it starred Bill Murray's little brother John Murray but Fred Willard steals the show. Like he plays this car mechanic and everyone calls him the car doctor. And then Wendy Jo Sperber. I don't know if you know her, Derek. She was in Bosom Buddies and Bachelor Party. She was Marty McFly's sister in Back to the Future. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know who that is, yeah. She plays this hypochondriac and she thinks that Fred Willard is a real doctor. And the dialogue between them is oh, so Oh, I remember those scenes. Funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you remember, so you've seen the movie? And he, he I, tells, oh, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a he, long time, but I yeah. do remember, I know exactly what you're talking about. And he says to her, he's like, you got to lube up your back end and really get in there right. and root right. around. And he's like, and I do lots of celebrities. He's like, just last week, I reamed out Roger Moore. He was totally satisfied. And, and the thing is, you just know he's improvising his lines in the yeah. whole movie. And even in Waiting for Guffman, which which I personally believe is one of the most underrated movies of the last 25 years, there's the, the scene with him and Catherine O'Hara. When he I, I've ex- never seen Waiting for Guffman. Oh, God, it's so funny. So they do this one scene where he's explaining how he got penis reduction surgery. And it's just like, it's just so fun. He was a funny, funny, funny guy that I think never really got his due. So that was one of mine. So I want to. There was a movie that um, uh, uh, the, the Christopher Guest gang, of mm-hmm. which Fred Willard was definitely a part of, um, did in 2006 called "For Your Consideration." I don't know if you're familiar with it or if you've seen it. It came out right after Best in Show, like it was the next year. I remember seeing it at the Toronto International Film Festival, and 
it's funny you mentioned that you think Fred Willard was deserving of an award and didn't get it because the whole premise of this four year consideration is this this small movie thinks that they should be nominated for an award and they basically believe their own press. They go on TV and say, like, I should be nominated for an award. And then, of course, people hear that and go, oh, well, then I guess they're going to be. And it's this whole industry thing about like how if you start believing your own press and enough people start repeating it it can make it true and because it's that um christopher guest gang so much of it is improv so and fred willard of course is in that as well so it just seemed like it was a, a good fit based on where your conversation was just going so yeah i was gonna say um i got a couple of my lists so sure. um uh, you were talking about I the, have a the, lot. The, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll defer to you because you, you've sort of touched on a few of mine already. Um, you talked about the guys in Star Wars being behind the mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about someone who was behind the mask, but certainly is known for not wearing one. It was Chadwick Boseman, who died at age 43 at the end of August. Um, he is best, uh, probably best known to, to most people and best remembered as playing uh, the Black Panther in the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Um, I remember one of the first things I saw him in was a movie called, I want to say it was called 4042, Jackie Robinson. Um, I can remember getting tickets from a friend to an advanced sneak preview of that movie. And, it, you know, it was very last minute and taking one of the guys in my office who I didn't really know very well. I'm like, hey, you want to go see a free movie with me? And we ended up becoming really good buddies after that. Going to, We went and saw this movie. And I just remember seeing that one and thinking, wow, this guy's great. And then suddenly he starts showing up in all these other movies. And I was like, man, this guy's really good. And, and then he ends up being cast as Black Panther, which, of course, for people who hadn't been familiar with his work up until that point, bang, Marvel Cinematic Universe, biggest thing going. And he gets his own movie, Black Panther, arguably the best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie or definitely makes everyone's top five list without question. Um, but you could definitely argue that it's the best one. And what we've learned since his death was he had been sick for many years and he had been trying to hide his illness from the public for a long time. Especially he had had these made these commitments to the Marvel people that he would do X number of movies and his character would appear doing certain things in certain films. And, um, was able to complete that commitment despite his continuing deterioration and his, his deteriorating health. And, um, you know, just the kinds of roles he played, uh, he, you know, he played roles where he was, uh, a lot of biopics where he, he took on the roles of real people and the people that he portrayed on screen were a lot of important leaders in the black community, um, that, that made huge differences in the lives of so many people. And I think that uh, Chaz McBosen will have this legacy in part because he died so young, but in part because, um, you know, he was able to bring a, a spotlight to some of, of these people and, um, and and bring their story to the forefront again through these biopic films that he participated in. So uh, definitely someone we lost too soon was Chad McBoseman. So <clears throat> you mentioned something earlier I thought was important was it's not how big the celebrities are, but how they impact you personally, right? Yeah. What I want to mention, this seems really off the radar, is Anne Ranking. So she was this major Broadway star and she was a damn good one too. And she appeared in movies like All That Jazz and Annie. But from a pop culture perspective, she's a little bit more notorious than she was famous at the 1984 Oscars. Now, that this took place in early 1985, right? Because they always do it right after. Um, Anne Reinking, for some reason, was, you know, tapped to sing Phil Collins' song Against All Odds. I don't know why they didn't just get Phil Collins to sing it. Who knows? But I remember watching it at the time, and it was bad. Like, I mean, really, really bad. She was lip syncing, 
and dancing all weird. And for this seasoned Broadway performer, the thing that I think I remember the most about her performance is that she looked absolutely terrified to be on that stage. I don't know if it was stage fright or what it was, but I don't know. I just, I always, Anne Ranking is, I just, I've always think of her when I think of pop culture stuff from around that time. But one guy that I want to, I have no idea who that is. Yeah. Like I say, it's, it's kind of off the radar, but I just, she died and I was like, oh man, I remember her a lot. Um, one guy that I really wanted to mention was David Lander. As a kid, when I was growing up, I loved Laverne and Shirley. And I always loved Lenny and Squiggy. Michael McKeon, you know, he went on to do some other stuff that I really liked. Like He did Spinal Tap and Young Doctors in Love. I gotta love that movie. But David Lander never really did all that much else. Now, he suffered from multiple sclerosis. And the thing was, he concentrated, I think, a lot of his efforts on trying to bring awareness of the disease and, and helping raise funds, you know, for research and treatments and stuff. But there was something always really offbeat about him and his performance as Squiggy. It, it was kind of hard to pin down. It, it, I don't know. It was almost like he wasn't in on the joke sometimes. I don't know. But I, I just loved him for it. He was a guy I really, really liked a lot. And I always remember this line that he had in one of the later shows. Remember when they moved from Milwaukee and they went to Los Angeles? I, I honestly never watched Laverne and Shirley. Oh, so I'm familiar with the show, but I've never watched it. Well, they left Milwaukee. They went to Los Angeles and there was an earthquake. And it, it gave the leads a chance to do, you know, a lot of physical comedy, which they were known for. And then I just remember at the end of the scene, Lenny and Squiggy walk in and the girls are like, oh, my God, there was an earthquake. And Squiggy says, I know my rubber lamb bounced twice. And I just, it was such a weird line. I don't know why it, it made no sense, but for some reason, I've always remembered that line. So I don't know. It's a crazy thing, but I just wanted to share it. David Lander died last year. It made me a little bit sad. So you have any other ones that you want to share? Uh, I got a couple more real quick. Um, I obviously, uh, we were talking, I was talking about the, uh, the last dance of Michael Jordan documentary mm-hmm. again, not a big basketball guy, but I think we, uh, we have to acknowledge the loss of Kobe Bryant, the basketball player and his daughter, uh, Gianna Bryant. Um, they died in a helicopter crash again. Kobe was 41. His daughter was 13. Um, they were on their way to, uh, um, a basketball practice, I believe it was, or possibly a, a tournament. And I believe there was another parent and child in there as well. Unfortunately, uh, I don't have the name in front of me, but Kobe being the big star, even though he was retired, it's always uh, it's always terrible news to hear, uh, you know, somebody who dies young. And in this case, this was this, uh, you know, professional athlete who had just retired, um, you know, 41 years old is his young daughter there with him. Like it's it was tragic and unexpected. And, uh, you know, so that was certainly one that uh, even though I'm not a big basketball fan, it's it, it, it certainly struck me. Um, and then another one I want to just talk about that was a little bit more personal, uh, you know, was a little more recent was. Jeopardy host Alex Trebek died mm-hmm. at 80 earlier this year. He had pancreatic cancer, um, at which he had disclosed to the public and, and uh, you know, he had been undergoing treatment. And now personally, I, I had a buddy years and years ago and he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he told us in August he had pancreatic cancer and he was dead by February. And that's pretty typical. Usually by the time they detect it, it's six months and you're gone. And he was undergoing some incredibly aggressive treatments. So the fact that Alex Trebek came out and said he had pancreatic cancer, and then I think he lived like another 18 months is 
phenomenal. And the fact that not only did he live that long, but he was continuing to to work. And you he saw him every day on TV yeah. on Jeopardy. Like he wasn't one of these guys that was like bedridden for the last six months of his life. Like he was actively doing stuff. And I got to think that he was in a tremendous amount of discomfort while he was doing that. But he was putting on that that heroic, stoic face to do it. And certainly, um, you know, if you're anything like me. I've been watching game shows all my life. I love game shows. Jeopardy has been primetime game show, you know, for all of my adult life. And I try and watch it as frequently as possible. And so over the years, you know, Alex Trebek has been in my my home every night when we watch Jeopardy. And he's Canadian. He's from Sudbury, which is where my mom's family is from. So not that they ever knew him personally, but again, just sort of felt like there was a little connection there as well. And so that was certainly sad to uh, to hear of his passing. I mean, it wasn't a surprise given that we knew he had this illness. Uh, it was more surprising that he was able to, to live as long as he did upon discovering the diagnosis. But, you know, it was uh, it was sad. It was unfortunate. And um you know, that was one that, uh, that that really struck me when it happened as well. Absolutely. I mean, he made the world care about trivia, you know, and yeah. he, made it, he made it okay to be a trivia nerd. Yeah. Uh, and then the thing is, he's obviously known around the world as the host of Jeopardy, but to Gen X Canadians like me, you know, he was he was also the host of Pitfall. Pitfall, for sure. You, you saw that show, right? I mean, oh, it only I ran for show. one year, right? It yeah, ran from someone like lose an arm in the elevators or something of that show. Oh, I, had those, know, I don't know if anyone ever got, got hurt on it. But. I thought that's why they stopped the show. It had those, you went on that upper platform, you yep. stood on the elevator and if you got the question wrong, it went down. I thought somebody got hurt and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, there's too many movie pieces on the stage. Because it, it only ran for one year. It was like, yeah. in, it was like 81 to 82, right? Maybe that's just an urban legend, but uh, yeah, but I think for, for 99% of the people, it's Jeopardy. That's, that's his legacy and talk about a legacy. You can watch reruns of Jeopardy on Netflix they re, like Jeopardy's on every single day. And I don't I don't think you could go anywhere in the English speaking world and not be able to find Jeopardy on TV every single day. Like whether the new episodes, old episodes, that show is just a staple of television. And you can't it, it's going to be weird to see somebody else reading the questions after like because they're obviously going to continue with the show. But to see somebody other than Alex Trebek behind there is going to be really bizarre for quite some time. The other thing for me, whenever I think of Alex Trebek, I always remember the old SCTV game shows like Night School High Q and Half Wits when he was portrayed by Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. And, And the thing is, like, I think people tend to think of SNL, you know, doing game show parodies, doing good ones, but they were nothing compared to what was done on those old SETV shows. God, those were good. Um, Carl Reiner is someone I want to mention, too. He died last year. Just an icon. Um, he was not just not just a pioneer in early television, but the thing for me personally, I will always remember him when he did all those movies with Steve Martin in the 70s and 80s. Like Those were some of my all-time favorite comedies, like The Jerk and The Man with Two Brains and Dead Men Don't Wear a Plaid. Oh. God, he was good. And then I guess the last one that I want to kind of leave off on was Dawn Wells. And she was a real pop culture, um, you know, thing in, back in the 60s. I remember there was always a, the, the question was Ginger or Marianne? Which one yeah. did you like better? And in the 70s, it was like Jennifer or Bailey, right? I was always a Bailey and a Marianne kind of guy. Dawn Wells, you know, is known as sort of the epitome of the girl next door. Even though she was prettier than any girl next door I ever lived to. But um, the fact that she died, I think, right at the end of the year and because of COVID, too, no less. I think it was just sort of an exclamation point on an all around crappy year. 
you know, but yeah, tough year. It was hard on everybody. It was not a lot of fun in a lot of ways. But anyway, on that note, what do you say we have some fun with caveman? All right. We said living through 2020 was was a test, obviously, to, you know, to sort of say the least. Um, it felt sometimes like the lockdown lasted years, you know, um, I'm pretty sure it pretty much took four months just to get through April for crying out loud. But the thing was 2020 kind of screwed with our ability to distinguish the concept of time. So we're going to play a little game right now that I came up with and it's called 2020, the test of time. Okay. okay. Now to make it even better, I just I, I wrote a little drop for us. Okay. Yeah, of course you did. Need you like twenty twenty needs an enema. That you was terrible. It really sucked. Twenty twenty sucked. The test of time. All right. Here's how it works. For this quiz, fifty-fifty. All you got to do is identify if the thing that I mentioned happened in 2020 or not since this year is screwed with our you know ability to tell time okay okay so i'm okay. gonna mention something you just tell me did it happen in 2020 or not okay okay you know what i'm, I'm actually I'm, i think i need a, to get a beverage for this segment if you don't mind okay i, I think i need the beverage yeah. but anyway, <laughs> 2020 okay, sucks so much. Yep. all right tiger king i mentioned it previously tiger king is released on netflix did it happen in 2020 or not Yes. Yes, it did. Happened in 2020. Okay. Justin Bieber releases his single, Yummy. Uh, I, I honestly have never heard it. So let's say yes. It did. Yes, he released it in 2020. Okay. The first season of The Mandalorian. Was it released in 2020? No. No. You are correct. I watched it in 2020, but yeah. it came out. Yeah. Came out in 2019 in November. All right. Season three of Stranger Things. No. You're correct. It came out in 2019. Okay. Confirmation of a Friends reunion was announced. Was it announced in 2020 or not? Uh, haven't they been announcing that every year? Sure, let's say yes. I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. It was 2019. 2019, sure. they announced it. All right. Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston reunite at the SAG Awards. Did that happen in 2020 or not? Um, Sure. Yes. Yes, it happened in 2020. No idea. I mean, Brad Pitt was doing the things for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so that was my sort of my hint. All right. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced Megxit as they decide to leave the royal family. 2020, yes or no? Mm, sure, let's say yes. Yes, it happened in 2020. All right, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga perform Shallow at the Oscars. No, that was 2019. You are correct, it was 2019. All right, with 17 weeks in the top spot, Old Town Road, becomes the longest-running number one single in history. No, that was last year. Yep, it was 2019. All right, Shakira and J-Lo perform together at the Super Bowl. Ooh. Uh, when's the Super Bowl? It's in, like, February? Yeah, so that was, that was probably this year. That was 2020. Let's say yes. 
You are correct. All right. Lori Lawlin and Felicity Huffman are both arrested and charged with bribing their kids' way into college. I don't even know who those people are. Uh, that doesn't seem like something that would have come out this year. Let's say that was 2019. You are correct. Lori Lawlin was on Full House and Felicity Huffman is uh, as an actress. All right. Parasite becomes the first non-English film to win Best Picture at the Oscars. That was this year. Yes, because it happened, you know, in, in the beginning of the year. It was a 2019 mm-hmm. film. All right. Great Facebook uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg testifies before Congress. That's a good one. Uh, let's say yes. No, it was 2018 and Damn again it. in 2019. Wow, was that far back? Yeah. Oh, and 2019. Okay. All right. You're going to get this one. The documentary The Last Dance debuts on ESPN. Yeah, it was April 2020. Yes, it was. The Masked Singer launches in the United States. I don't know. Yes. 2020, yes. 2019, my friend. All right. The Big Bang Theory airs its final episode. Hmm. Trying to think if that was this year or last year. Uh, No, I'm going to say that was last year. 2019. Very good. Okay. The Broadway sensation Hamilton is released on Disney+. Plus. I think that was last year at Christmas. I'm going to say last year. No, I'm sorry. It was 2020. And the last one, McDreamy returns to Grey's Anatomy. Well, he's been on it this season. Sorry, spoiler alert for people who haven't caught up. So I'm going to say yes, 2020. You are correct. Boy, I tell you, you know your 2020 trivia. Well, so. half those we talked about, so it was a little yeah. bit of a game. But again, some of them I'm like, I have no idea. at the end of the, 2019 or not? So, yeah. um, okay, so Derek, next episode, we got to review a movie. Um, not only do we have to uh, review a movie, we've got a guest joining us to review the film with us. Um, I know I'm always jo- joking around on this show about, you know, kids today and, and how they don't like anything good from Gen X. Well, I got to tell you, that's about to change next week. Okay. Um, we're going to be joined next week by YouTuber Luke Tilly. He's only 12 years old, but he loves Gen X movies. And he reviews movies uh, from the 70s and 80s on his YouTube channel. So you got to make sure you check out his YouTube channel at Luke Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And make sure and join us next week when Luke is going to be here to review the 1991 James Cameron sci-fi classic T2, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Derek, you've obviously seen that movie, but we have to go back and watch it, right? Oh, yeah. I've seen it so many times. I told my wife we were going to be watching this one and she was like giddy. She couldn't contain her her enjoyment that this was on the schedule so now we've decided we're gonna have to watch terminator the first terminator movie first just to get us in the right mood before we get to t2 i tell you it has been a long time since i've seen either one of those movies but uh, i i reached out to luke and i let him pick the movie and he wanted to go with t2 so make sure you come back next week uh we're gonna you know give us a listen we're gonna be reviewing uh t2 with youtuber luke tilly until then this is chris mcbrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to pop goes your world the pop culture podcast for the generations thanks for listening to pop goes your world you can contact chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com 
Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.